race relations in Northern Ireland, past, present and future. A film and podcast series from the MME Council. Part 2. The Imagine Festival panel discussion of 26th of March 2021. I'm delighted to say I'm joined now by some of the people that you've just been watching and uh, who've contributed to our series uh, to discuss some of the themes raised. This program and the forthcoming series is uh, linked to a research project led by Dr. Dina Zoe Beluigi from Queen's University and also on the MME Council Board um, and supported by Queen's. So many thanks to them for that. So without further delay, let's turn to our panel and ask them to introduce themselves. Uh, Leo, let me start with you. Uh, could you just tell us who you are and what you do a little bit? Hi, uh, my name is Leo. I um, I'm a footballer. I played in I played for Northern Ireland growing up and uh, Crusaders up in Belfast. Uh, I went over to Birmingham for three years to play professionally, uh, but I came home like due to injuries. Um, currently, I'm an accountant and in a, I own my own computer building business with my me and my friend. We build uh, custom PCs and uh, yeah, studying studying as well. I have an, I'm doing a degree um, part-time with Open University, doing, studying a bit of accounting and manage, business management. And uh, yeah, I like to I do a bit of skating and photography as well, whenever I get a chance to. You're a busy man. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and appearing on, on panel shows like this as well. Yeah, I'm doing it. Um, I'm, doing it oh, I'm also a ambassador for the Rio Ferdinand Foundation oh. in Belfast. So I only got appointed the other week. So um, hopefully we uh, doing a few things uh, like workshops and a big events in, in Belfast to try and spread awareness and create sort of space, safe spaces and environments for specifically, specifically aimed at young people, but um, just to create these sort of safe spaces and environments for people to talk and express themselves. That's extraordinary. I must. I'll get some details off you, and we can put it up on our our website as well. Yeah. Ola, uh, let me turn to you. Tell us who you are and a little bit about yourself. So, uh, Ola Sobierai. I'm uh, Polish. Uh, that's I kind of get that out of the way because people always ask me, you know, where are you from? And when I say Macrofelt, then it follows another twenty questions of the where are you really from. So, uh, but I've been living in Northern Ireland for nearly twenty years now, which is kind of shocking when I when I think of it. I uh, currently work uh, on the EU settlement scheme project, so manage delivery of, of that four step and stronger together network and stronger together network is a network of organizations and individuals working in the field of ethnicity uh, equality and diversity and uh, nisha uh, here was one of the founding members of stronger together network so uh, so we're all kind of uh, all, all connected uh, and as a sort of side uh, side gig I uh, do uh, well-being workshops and I'm actually also a laughter yoga instructor uh, every so often when I kind of pluck up the courage because uh, it's very, uh, very uh, much out of my comfort zone. We've, we've got a lot of very busy guests and, and that's only the first two. Um, Drew, let me turn to you. Uh, let, tell, please tell me your life is less busy. 
Uh, unfortunately, I can't, uh, I can't meet you there, uh, Maurice, but my name is uh, Drew Mikhail, um, Lebanese, Northern Irish. Unfortunately, that doesn't, uh, or slash fortunately, um, doesn't end the, my experience of newcomer societies. My grandmother was an Armenian refugee to Lebanon, and then my father was a migrant to Northern Ireland. Um, I am currently at Queen's University. I'm a research fellow. And I'm currently working on a project uh, that is funded by the Joseph Rancher Charitable Trust that looks at uh, newcomer societies and how to create a more welcoming society in Northern Ireland, because my research experience and background is looking at those who are different or who come from different places um, arriving in post-conflict divided societies. That's great. Thank you. Very well, definitely be coming back to some of those themes uh, this evening. Uh, Tunde, let's... Uh, Move to you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, uh, my name is Tunde Tunde Addison. Um, I'm an accountant. I have my practice uh, in uh, East Belfast Enterprise, uh, City East Business Center on Nathanas Road. Uh, I've been practicing now for the last 15 years. Uh, on the side, uh, I'm also the uh, chair of the African and Caribbean Chamber of Commerce. Uh, which is uh, an, uh, an organization that actually seeks to help uh, African or Caribbean uh, people in terms of signposting them to how they can start their business or how they can grow their business better. Uh, on the side, I like to DJ. So if you don't find me working, I might be somewhere DJing with some friends. <laughs> so not too busy. Sounds great. Should have got you to do some music tonight, actually. That might have been good. <laughs> some big boxy, um, yeah. Oh, a kickboxer too. Oh my goodness, I feel underworked here. Um, don't tell my boss that. Anna, uh, let's turn to you. Uh, probably don't really need much of an introduction, but introduce yourself in. Hello, uh, I'm Anna Lowe. I came to live in Northern Ireland uh, in 1974, when there was still the height uh, of the Troubles and uh, with very few ethnic minority pe people here in, in, in Northern Ireland. I had a very varied career as a secretary, interpreter, community development worker, social worker, and uh, eventually um, a politician in the Northern Ireland Assembly before I retired uh, in 2016. So since retirement, um, I've become an amateur artist. Uh, I've joined a couple of voluntary organizations, one of which is Nisha's Arts Actor, and uh, on the board, not as a member of staff, and then um, an environmental organization called Keep Northern Island Beautiful. And uh, I'm also a very keen walker and uh, up mountains uh, whenever the weather is good enough. So, yeah, surely I'm busy too. Yep. Yeah. Good. Excellent. And uh, Nisha, you've already been mentioned. Art sector has been mentioned. Uh, perhaps just tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll, we'll come to, to look at that a bit in a bit more detail. Right, thank you, Morris. Um, it's good to be here tonight. Uh, I'm Nisha Tandon, for a CEO of Art Sector um, and uh, the Intercultural Arts Organization, and also the host of Belfast Miller. I have lived in this country from I arrived here in 1977. 
just little later than um, Anna, and it was also the height of troubles. And I have seen everything here uh, from, um, you know, no-go areas and uh, uh, other uh, other different environments, uh, which we will probably mention later on. Um, and I'm a very keen dancer and also uh, a very, very keen gardener. These are my hobbies. Um, but I am really passionate about the work I do, and that is to empower the minority ethnic communities in the artistic or in their cultural fields, which they come here um, and they're so lonely. So giving them, especially the women, giving them the platform to flourish. And that's what I really love to, just love doing that work. And latest work has been with the refugee and asylum seekers, which has been a great journey. And it still is an ongoing journey, lot to learn. And as Ola mentioned, um, I am I used to be part of Stronger Together, a fantastic network, um, and which has done a lot of immense, beautiful work um, for for the minority ethnic communities. Mm. So yeah, so that's just uh, in a nutshell. This is just my background, and I also sit on a couple of boards, um, and that is um, Community Relations Council board and also Belfast Film Festival Board, and like Leo, um, I'm also the ambassador for unlimited um, social enterprise uh, fund. And uh, that is uh, over in England, it is very, very big. In Scotland, it's very big, uh, but it is very small here, but we are trying to make, make it big, uh, make it happen. Yeah, so that's, that's the nice. background. It sounds great. You, you both, uh, you and Anna, mentioned uh, the 1970s in Northern Ireland. And of course, I remember that, uh, grew up in that. And it, it seemed to me at the time, and that appearances can be deceptive, that it was pretty monocultural, or at least it's seen as being divided into two and only two communities. <laughs> and yet in 2019, the last time I was able to get to the, the Mela, you had tens of thousands of people enjoying uh, culture and cuisine and crafts from uh, dozens of countries from all around the world in different languages. How did you do it? How did I do it? How did you bring this rich intercultural experience to Belfast? Was it yeah. difficult? Were there problems? Were there barriers? Lot of difficulties, Morris. It wasn't, and it hasn't been an e easy journey. Um, and the the most difficult part has been uh, that we, I come from a um, black minority background and being a woman um, also, uh, people didn't think, uh, people thought that, oh, well, it's all right. You know, um, she is only doing what everybody else is doing and will ne never get anywhere in this world or in this lovely land of uh, Northern Ireland. But my determination and my passion for my work made me fight, fight, fight um, to show people um, that minority ethnic communities can deliver, want to deliver and will deliver and make us the part of your fabric. And 
we will be creating a very vibrant society here, which will be full of um, magic, learning, education, participation, co-designing, co-production, young, old, intercultural, intergenerational. Wow, wouldn't that be so lovely? And that has been the dream. And the dream is, has come true in some sense. We have created a beautiful shared space um, in center of Belfast Botanic Gardens. Um, and it comes to life. We started with 500 people with a lot of challenges um, and uh, no departments, nobody to give us the money to flourish. Um, uh, and it's not all about money. It is about listening and hearing us plea um, to, to give us that platform. Um, we created a true shared space and you have seen that, you have experienced that, Morris, yourself, and Anna, and maybe Ola, and I think Tunde was there a couple of years back. I don't know about you, Drew, but there has been a lot of people who gave us a lot of support. Um, and, um, and it is that the minority ethnic communities, they took the ownership of it. And when I say the minority ethnic communities took the ownership, the Bulgarian, the Russian, the Polish, the Chinese, uh, Indian, African, uh, the Muslim communities, they all wanted to have their space in it to showcase the rich cultures they bring uh, to Northern Ireland. They don't all live in Belfast. They live all over Northern Ireland, but they make sure that they participate. Um, and bring their culture to alive. Yes, there has been a lot of challenges and not only the challenges from the policy side of things because I use arts as a tool, uh, but unfortunately arts is the one, one platform which takes a um, lot of understanding from many departments and they don't go into the policy side of things at all. Mm -hmm. So I think it is very important that uh, many departments, Department of Communities, Arts Council, the Arms Length Bodies, the De Department of Economy, the whole executive should be, should be uh, seeing arts, creating mm -hmm. those shared spaces and creating a platform for lovely minority ethnic communities, how important it is to have equality, diversity and inclusion embedded in everyday work, which we deliver today. So that is just the nutshell, which I would yeah. like to sort of give it to you, yeah. Excellent. I, I guess uh, speaking of policy and uh, the politicians then, maybe we turn to Anna to ask uh, you, Anna, about your experience you were, at the time, the only MLA from a minority ethnic community, and that remains the case today. Um, I guess if you could give us a quick uh, overview of how you got into politics, and are you surprised that uh, nobody's followed in your footsteps just yet? 
Well, um, it was very simple. Just the Alliance Party came and asked me uh, to to stand uh, for South Belfast. And I thought about it and just said, yeah, why not? But I had been a campaigner for a long time for ethnic minority um, equality and, and access to information services and the race relation order to be extended to Northern Ireland. So, and as a director of the Chinese Welfare Association, I think I had a lot of contacts with uh, politicians, councillors. So uh, politics is, uh, wasn't new to me. And uh, I thought, well, instead of always trying to push doors open to try to convince politicians, you know, to do things for us, maybe it's about time I get into government if I had a chance to really just make changes within. Um, in terms of the questions about um, why I'm not surprised there isn't anybody after me, um, politics to others coming from outside here in Northern Ireland could be quite complex. In other parts of the world, politics generally would be you know, based on left versus right or liberals against conservatives. But in Northern Ireland, um, it is very often kind of tribal. And if you're coming from outside, I think that tribal politics, orange and green nature, put off a lot of people from wanting to participate and they don't want to be labelled one side or the other. I mean, the assembly actually institutionalised sectarianism. You know, as a politician joining the assembly, you have to self-identify as either a unionist or a nationalist or other. So I was always other. Um, so, so I think that sort of politics that's not really based on bread and butter issue, you know, would just make people coming from outside who are not Christian, who don't want to see a united island or to be part of the UK, you know, it doesn't matter to them. It matters more to them about education for the children, housing for themselves, whether the business is going to survive. And so really until I think we have more progressive politics, I think, you know, you are not going to find many people wanting to get into politics, people from outside to bring in their fresh ideas, their skills. But another part of it, I think, is because our politic pa political parties are so, in many ways, insular into their own corner. Um, you know, they're always watching what the other side is doing, and and they really haven't made a lot of effort to try to engage with ethnic minority communities, mm -hmm. to try to encourage them to come out to vote, to join parties or stand um, you know, for, for elections. So mm -hmm. there needs a lot of encouragement and hand holding for anyone who's novice to want to become a politician. It's a big mm -hmm. step. To, to jump, to make. So, I mean, politicians, yeah, we can say, oh, well, you know, why, why there aren't any ethnic minority coming forward? But, you know, because we haven't gone out to explain to them and to try to bring them in, then, you know, you're not going to find them, yeah. uh, you know, interested. 
I think another see, uh, issue could be to people are concerned about racism yeah. with certain political parties or politicians yeah. and, and have all, often been asked, well, have you ever you know, found any racism in, in the assembly? I mean, personally, I certainly haven't any overt racism uh, in the assembly against me. But there is that fear of ethnic minority residents here, newcomers here, because they've heard some politicians making racist remarks or some parties, some politicians making very sectarian um, remarks. And they are worried about that. And they're saying, well, I don't want to be a target you know, uh, of yeah. racism by, by other politicians. I can see uh, uh, Drew has been sort of nodding along to a lot of, of what you said here, because uh, Drew, this is uh, sort of your special field of study. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. And just to make the audience aware that uh, Anna did say that she would hopefully be supporting my research. And I'm glad to see that my research has actually matched up um, in in and is characterized by uh, what Anna has said. And I thank her for it, um, not only for the validation, but also bringing light some very important issues, which is the lack of outreach by political parties in Northern Ireland is a significant problem that is rooted to the, the in my opinion, and I would say this, obviously this is what my research is about, to the central well, ethnic sectarian confessional divide in Northern Ireland. These parties are used to longitudinally, the politics of Northern Ireland, the big P political questions being centered around whether the state belongs to the UK or to the Republic of Ireland. For newcomers coming along, they're thrust into an awkward position of not actually having technically, most of the time, a dog in that fight. So whenever you have political parties that have for a long time actually appealed to their and built within their communities where their biggest rivals have been their co uh, confessional or sectarian um, parties where they're seeking to um, grab more constituents from, from the other, they don't know how to reach out to particular newcomers because quite frankly, where do they, how do they decide where they stand on the big P political issues? And one thing that if you look at and a lot of the research that I looks at newcomers in different societies is that acculturation, assimilation, integration, there's lots of different terms and policies that have been bandied around for how to integrate newcomers. But the fact remains that it's a two-way process, right? Newcomers in Northern Ireland, and has already been briefly explained, have added tremendously to this, the, the social fauna and political fauna of Northern Ireland. Uh, uh, we have them very wonderfully on this panel, but that has not been forth, but that two-way interaction hasn't been forthcoming from the political side in, in the Northern Ireland's newcomers. And that is a direct result of um, the, our, our, our conflict that we have not um, come to terms with or grappled with. And certainly um, one of the aspects that's very, very important is that, and what I've heard from different Northern Irish politicians is that, well, you know, we just, they need to come forward and then speak to us. The reality is, is that you're living in a divided society. And as a newcomer, your positionality is particularly vulnerable. If you live in a community amongst um, one or other community, marking yourself out and becoming, you 
becoming a party member of the DUP if you live in a mostly nationalist community is not an option for you. You live in a divided society and actually putting yourself into a position where you might support a political party is to, in effect, um, become assimilated in all the negative ways from the eyes of the of the Northern Irish participants that you, oh, they're now voting for the DUP or they're voting for or the SDLP. They have now become a part of the Northern Irish conflict. So there's a social pressure in which that understandably, I think that uh, you come to a country or a province that has a long history of divide. You're not really willing to, and nor should you be willing to risk your potential position where you live with your neighbors if they don't, if your political opinion or political preference for a party doesn't match up with the, the local surrounding community. So, in sum, yeah, <laughs> I would agree with everything that Anna has said. And unfortunately, I think that one of the aspects that we see that we really need to, to come to terms with is that there's, when it comes to, uh, and Nisha said it at the start, the addition that newcomers can have in Northern Ireland. The fact that we can create that Northern Ireland isn't just a place for two different ethnic peoples who see the future in two linear ways, right? That there has to be a culture of recognition all throughout Northern Ireland, all throughout Northern Irish society, political and social. That culture of recognition has been enshrined politically in the Good Friday Agreement, but it only included two different communities to be recognized, right? And there, and we even see that there's a difficulty in recognizing the major features of those two communities because they often stops we, for the three years that we had a suspended um, a storm on over one of the key issues of the Irish Language Act, okay? So they're having difficulty even creating recognition patterns for each other. So where do newcomers fit in into that if they don't even recognize each other through the statutes that were created with outside help? So when it comes to integration and it comes to actually being allowed and creating a space in which people can flourish from all different communities and create a stellar constellation of different ethnic groups and racial groups and all the rest of it, we have to be able, Northern Ireland, and we all have a, a role of the, to play in this, has to be able to move to a culture of recognition of all societies, all different peoples, and recognize their different cultural signifiers that belong in the province that aren't only related to orange and green, that there is a lot more colors that can be integrated and can actually contribute positively. So I'll stop there. <laughs> I think uh, everyone has said uh, about the contribution that, that, that uh, people, newcomers and so on can make. So let's turn to uh, Tundi and ask him about exactly one of those contributions about how you set up the uh, African-Caribbean uh, Chamber of Commerce in Northern Ireland. And you might want to unmute yourself at this point, by the way. <laughs> Can you hear me now, yeah? Yeah, for you. Okay. Yes, uh, thank you, Maurice. Um, yeah, it, 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 it wasn't, I mean, based on all what the panelists have said, um, it's, it's my experience also. Uh, although I, I came here about, about 12 years ago uh, to Northern Ireland, uh, if I was honest with you, I didn't have any idea about what Northern Ireland was about, you know? All I saw was in pictures, greeneries, looked beautiful, until I came here and I realized it was a divided society. 
And uh, but of course I'm here. So what do I do? And um, you know, I I I walked a bit um, here before deciding to sell my practice. Um, I looked at the environment, and something just said to me that uh, it was conducive enough. Having said that, I did have some fears, if I was honest. Uh, but you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. So I was going to give it a try. You know, so. I resigned from my workplace and decided to set up my practice. Of course, I started from, from home for my kitchen table. And from then on, you know, got an office and, and you know, rest is history. But in my journey, um, in the course of having my own practice and with the, you know, stereotype that goes with uh, uh, African people about, you know, uh, fraud and whatever, of course, uh, I wasn't left behind on that also, you know, all this came in. I've had issues where people came to my office, knocked on my door, saw me and turned back, you know? Uh, and of course that felt bad, but notwithstanding, um, you do always think it's just a small minority of them. Well, fast forward, um, practice is established. And then I started thinking that, well, there is a lot of truth about the fact that it is a divided society. You know, you're either this side or you're that side, but because, I don't think we black Africans or Caribbeans take any side anyway. And they see that we are not actually the same color with them. So I looked at us as a neutral people that, well, if anything we are doing has to do with economic growth, you know, economic empowerment about ourselves, I don't think that should be a problem for anybody, you know? And then we got a group of, you know, people that have also ventured into starting their own little company here, whether it's a cleaning company, you know, a barber shop, you know, food and groceries and stuff like that. That look, um, we cannot sit on the fence and decide that look, you know, things are not going to change in this economy. Let's start seeing what we ourselves can actually impute into the economy. Maybe this might start changing, you know, changing the narratives about how they feel about us. Because what I found out is that, you know, the local community always thought that every, you know, African that was here was a refugee or, a, you know, an asylum seeker. Wherever there are quite a bit that came here to study, there are some that came with different kinds of visas for work, the doctors, nurses, quite a bit. But the stereotype, you know, that they have with them is the fact that, you know, they're hungry, they're dirty, they have diseases and they've just come here to pitch on them and stuff like that. And that wasn't a good feeling. And we thought, look, let's start seeing how we can contribute into the economy so that they start seeing a different side of us to see us as someone actually contributing to the economy and not actually taking anything from there. So when we set up, uh, I mean, the setup was based on, um, uh, we had you know, Axoni then, which was more or less like the umbrella body for uh, for all the Black and Caribbean organizations, uh, I, especially um, Alfred uh, Abolari was the one that came with the concept of let's have a business angle to what we are doing. We know we have culture, arts, quite a bit of different things, you know, human rights. Let's have the business business part, you know. And we went for the meeting. I would say, okay, let's let's set up this and see how we can start to encourage, you know, Black Africans and Caribbeans mm -hmm. to see how whatever they want to do. That look. The, the, the help is there, you know, the support is there, you can get to it. You know, all you need to do is just, you know, go get it. 
Now, the cultural insensitivity of the, um, the support network we have here, like the other panelists have said, has always been just binary. You know, mm-hmm. is, is it good for the, you know, for this part of uh, this kind of, this particular sex sector or that particular sector? There was nothing about, you know, people coming in. Yeah. I've sat in meetings whereby the discussion has been, oh, people have come from East Belfast, some have come from uh, West Belfast to talk about what is their issue. But it was all about Northern Ireland or yeah. Belfast, you know, but it was just about the two issues. And at a point, I had to ask, so where do I come in? You invited me here, where do I come in? And they're like, oh, okay, sorry. So what's your <laughs> but you, you've, you've certainly, you've come in now, you've got a, a, a thriving organization and uh, maybe we'll get a, to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, you know, so that's, uh, that's just the whole issue that, you know, I, I strongly believe that in as much as we are on the round table discussing how Northern Ireland can move forward, that is when we all have a chance to make sure that we can contribute positively into the economy, yeah. you know, and make a greater, you know, better impact overall. And, then, and indeed, there's a, another member of the panel here who has done exactly that. Um, and let's have a, a quick chat with him now. Actually, Leo, do you uh, tell us a little bit about how, you, how did you go about starting up your business? And then maybe, um, you know, uh, again, if you faced any of those sort of barriers that you've just been hearing about. Yeah, so I am... Um... I'm a bit of a gamer, playing playing games my whole life. Uh, I played competitively, um, especially when I was in England, because I had a lot of injuries. And as you're in a very isolated space, so you know all I really had was my room and my you know Xbox, whatever I was playing with. So I um I got I got really into it, it was really competitive. And then I moved my friend played uh, PC, taught me how to build them and stuff. And um, I noticed that a lot of a lot of these computers people were buying were like t- just terrible so i just thought like within my sort of small community in bangor i just thought we uh, we business and actually build people good computers at like fair prices because you know people don't really know much about them so they'll go to curry's or go to whoever and they'll say oh i want a computer to work and they're like right three grand and they're like oh okay well that's how much a computer costs so um that's sort of how we sort of uh that's how we sort of just came about doing it and um you quickly find that um especially now with, with uh covid and how the last years went people are just just looking to buy computers and gaming ones you know i've got people buying gaming computers for their seven-year-old kids and things like that now you know it's just it's, it's madness so um yeah i haven't so far since we're probably because we're so reasonably small and new haven't come across any any issues with anyone. Everyone, everyone, especially because we're in a, in a small community and the people we deal with, um, you know, word gets about it's all word of mouth. So everyone we deal with, generally, you know, really nice, really polite. Um, was it was it the same in the football? Oh no, football is a completely different story now. <laughs> um, yeah, football is rough. You know, growing up, especially growing up here. I grew up in the early like, 2000, I was born in 2000, so 2000, 2010, um, I was going to primary school. I found that I had a major identity sort of crisis, didn't really know who I was, because I had no one except for my mom and my brothers, and then I had a cousin, auntie and uncle, and that was it, that was all of my family that was um, black at all, you know, I didn't have any sort of connection to my roots, you know, I went to school, surrounded by white people completely, um, 
and yeah, so I went, went through an identity crisis when I was young, and then as you sort of get get through those stages um, of your childhood, you, you know, I moved into football and um, loved it, played it for a long time. Uh, I got just you just every it was every, every other game you you get some sort of racial abuse, but I don't. I think the thing about football is because it's so competitive. I don't. I don't necessarily think it's because the person themselves is racist. I think it's just, you know, it's just to get that sort of competitive edge. You know, it's just you see it whenever, like in the UFC, whenever they do the wee standoff, they'll say anything that comes to their head to try and to try and give that them give them that sort of competitive uh, advantage over their teammate. You know, when you're in someone's head, it's it's sort of game over. But, um, I think that was really hard at such a young age. Yeah, you know, dealing with that, and then. You know, even the parents on the sideline would be would be doing it, and um, obviously my dad being white, they didn't know that he was my dad, so he had to sort of sit through all of it, and um, it was hard hard getting over it. But you have to sort of uh, understand that these poor people are probably just uneducated, or they're, they're in really sort of small, a lot of them are from these sort of small, tight knitted communities that don't really get the experience other cultures and other ethnicities you know they're they're very um not even necessarily close-minded but they just haven't they haven't seen anything else but from where they're from you know there's a lot, sure. of, people, a lot of people born in the shankle even here in um Kilkilly and stuff there's a lot of people born there and they don't leave you know they never they never they never go on holiday they never experience these, these cultures so i have to sort of uh take that into consideration as hard as it is but you have to um you know, at the end of the day, you have to sort of just point it out, tell them you can't say that. Yeah. You know, I can, there's not much else I can do. I'm 12 years old, but uh, <laughs> it, it does. It's, get it's very. Uh, it's a very generous uh, take, and uh, and you're commendable for the strength that you've shown and, and your resilience and the fact that you're thriving. That's uh, Thank you. that's admirable. Um, and I, I suppose, you know, speaking of some of those sort of more overt sort of racism and so forth. Um, and just a, just a second, I'm going to turn to Ola. Um, I, we're sort of, I can see that the time is ticking past here. So I'm just going to say now, if you want to put um, a question in the chat function, we'll try to get to it tonight. Uh, we might not. If we don't, we'll try to cover it in the, in the following series. Um, let me turn to Ola and maybe pick up on, on something that Leah was saying about that you know, that kind of almost overt um, racism that he was talking about, that you saw probably in the early parts of the this century, this millennium, as, as it were, when people from Eastern Europe started to move in. Certainly for me, anyway, there seemed xenophobia and, and racial incident forth. Does that ring true of your experience? Um, what, how did you set about overcoming it? It, 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 it does and it doesn't because it's uh, I've noticed a, a change there because uh, on a sort of individual personal level when I arrived in like 2001 uh, I was literally the Polish girl in Macrofelt and I worked in a nursery school uh, and everybody you know I knew everybody and uh, and I was just kind of like a little curiosity that everybody wanted to meet and look after and was very very helpful uh, helpful to so uh, uh, later on when I had their job interviews there were you know parents that offered to give me lifts this that and the other and it was really quite 
quite nice that a small uh, small community that, that seemed very very caring and then suddenly in 2004 and 5 when bigger groups of people started arriving uh, the attitudes uh, have changed uh, the, they're suddenly I've noticed the hostility and it was never against me it was just you know oh, it's, it was always oh it's not you it's you know it's, it's them I was like but them is me I'm them <laughs> there we come from the same place from the same background and uh, and so so I'm just trying to get to the bottom what it is that uh, that changed and uh, uh, and I thought uh, very much so uh, like like Leo it's you know because uh, because it's you know bigger groups of people who maybe look slightly different and sound slightly different and if they speak in a language you don't understand it it seems louder than what it actually is and it might seem harsher so uh, a lot of it was uh, to do with education so that's where I've started you know educating people around me from you know families and neighbors and uh, and whatnot not, and then it uh, it grew into uh, into a career, so to speak. Uh, uh, but but it, it really uh, the more people arrived, the kind of the worse it got. And it was never personal. It just seemed to be this kind of group mentality. It was you know perceived one group and against another. Uh, even though when you know two people, two individuals from those groups actually interacted, that didn't seem to be a problem. So again, that was something that I started to wanting to promote to actually give people to you know meet and interact uh, and, and get to get together and our, on our very local uh, little scale uh, we, we did little events where maybe not necessarily uh, slightly strictly cultural and to to to, uh, to showcase you know cultural things but just where people from ethnic minorities were you know service providers they may have been the face painter the you know balloon modeler the musician uh, so not necessarily those kind of typically you know ethnic things uh, but just you know people in the community uh, who could showcase their uh, their talents to really show maybe the the, the indigenous uh, local communities that they're really you know the same that they all had kids that needed to to, to like to be entertained in a, a vastly the same way they you know all, all had school problems they all had work problems there uh, uh, and that sort of you know, mainstreaming ethnic minorities and ethnicity into the local has become something that I've become quite passionate and, and involved in and it's uh, because I've noticed that yes there's sort of you know, equality and diversity has become uh, you know, a, a tokenistic tick box exercise for for many, and it's uh, and there is you know a box where it's like oh anything uh, anything ethnic if you want anything any ethnic with that diversity related uh, programs or activities there's you know that's where it goes it's just there in the corner, uh, so uh, so that's for uh, minority ethnic development fund, or there is some sort of diversity pocket here, there, here or there, but uh, but really, uh, the mainstream still stays vastly uh, for the local communities uh, and is vastly concerned with the uh, you know, race relations uh, or good relations between uh, the green and the, the and the orange. So uh, I'm very much about mixing the adding to those colors and mixing uh, mixing them all up by by sort of mainstreaming the the ethnic bit mm -hmm. and the 
culture uh, and, uh, or in the advice sector or, uh, or, or in the politics. Uh, and it's uh, when uh, Anna said about politicians uh, approaching uh, ethnic minorities. I've had a few, uh, a couple of parties approaching me at, you know, at the time of election when they sort of realized there's a few votes missing and perhaps uh, ha having a bit of a following on social media, I might help. So, uh, but it's, it's the same. I don't really feel like any of the parties, uh, I, I don't really identify with with any of the parties because of the green and orange uh, issue because it's, it's not my issue. Uh, I can I can understand the ideology and the passions behind it, but I don't identify with it. Uh, and uh, and in terms of the, the policies, uh, I haven't. And many of ethnic minorities and newcomers or people I know also haven't found uh, anybody they can identify with. Uh, uh, my sister, uh, on the other hand, has so she's she's found the Green Party and she joined the Green Party, and she was immediately offered the you know diversity inclusion officer uh, part in it and. And we, kind of, we despaired because this is ex again this kind of tick box yeah. uh, exercise. And she's an accountant and she's a treasurer for a couple okay. of organizations, and she put herself up for that uh, for that position, okay. but that wasn't even considered. Uh, so uh, so we had a little laugh and thought, right, well, just you know, you kind of uh, uh, start from the bottom and, uh, and and see where where that goes. But uh, yeah. so that's 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 really uh, where, I wonder, where I did, am. Did did you find that? Uh, these things were exacerbated around the time of the, the Brexit uh, debate. Debate. I was going to say it's a whole big referendum and all the rest of it. So, uh, did Brexit ve very much so? Is a, a very much so because it's sort of. Uh, by what, 2016, uh, the migration and sort of uh, all those groups of people have, have become something that Northern Ireland was starting to get used to and embrace. And like the mela was growing and you could see all the you know, businesses and shops and, uh, and uh, people uh, and more and more kind of mixed families. Uh, and then suddenly with uh, with the Brexit vote, I think uh, well, I certainly felt it was personal. And I uh, heard Kaya in the video saying, you know, it, nobody voted again, you know, to, to vote Kaya out. And I'm sure nobody voted to get me out. Ne nevertheless, to me, it felt personal. Uh, and to, to very many people uh, also, uh, because we suddenly realized that around, you know, half the population here is, uh, you know, for Brexit and Brexit uh, was really advertised as and sold as this kind of anti-immigration and get to get our identity back and you know basically get them out if uh, if, if possible which was never going to happen because that's uh, for, for all sorts of reasons to the people who are already here already here so uh, nobody was uh, that was never part of the of the plan nevertheless to uh, to us Eastern Europeans or Europeans in, in Northern Ireland, it felt quite personal and it uh, made us feel, uh, I think, not belong here and like not wanted here mm -hmm. and, and questioning whether we made the right choice to, to actually uh, to make it our home. I wonder if anybody else in the, the panel, not from Eastern Europe or, or from a European background, um, felt that were also knock-on effects for them. I mean, Nisha, for example, did you notice anything in the in terms of the Indian community, did they feel a little hostile atmosphere around the Brexit vote? Or? Yes, very much so, because um, 
Um, as you would know that the Indian, Chinese, Jewish and African communities were the first settlers in Northern Ireland. Um, and yes, whenever this Brexit came, um, we also felt that we are part of the hospitality industry. We are part of the uh, NHS and the health. We are part of education. We are part of the, the entire you know, fabric of running Northern Ireland and agriculture as well. And why is it that our counterparts such as uh, Europeans are coming here who have contributed so much are to be sent home and they're not wanted? So the Indian community was definitely not in favour of Brexit. At least I wasn't. But anyway, that's a long story. But, um, you know, um, and many, many of the hospitality, the, even the students who were coming from Indian origin from to Queens sort of started or Queens or UU started to think you know, twice whether they want to come here or they don't want to come here. And also the many of the NHS uh, uh, nurses, they went back, they went to better places, you know, they were, where they seen better opportunities and better pay and better everything. They left this country because they didn't know what was going to happen to them. Yeah. I see, uh, Drew, you were nodding about the, the university aspect of that. Do you have any insight into situation at Queen's or, or needed you? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that I don't want to believe the point and I definitely want to get round to the other panelists. I just think that whenever it comes back to a situation in which you have, when I've been in classes and, and those of us that have worked at Queen's understand that when 20 year olds are meeting for the first time from the opposite end of the community at the university level, it really is very unwelcoming to, to most, to those outside of those traditions, to be able to step in and have a place, especially when you're growing up and, and you know, I'm not outwardly Arab looking particularly and certainly um, whenever people are growing up, when my name was heard, then I was marked out as different. And it was interesting to understand that actually I could play insider versus outsider quite often. And then to be able to see the difference in how you're treated whenever you're assumed an outsider, because then it comes back to, well, exactly. Are you a Catholic or Protestant Greek Orthodox person rather than just like understanding individuals on their own merits? And what Ola said, you know, and I despair to the point that, it's understanding people on, on their own merits and their own contributions. Oh, let's put the um, the newcomer in, or let's put the person who's different in as the, as the diversity person, because that makes sense rather than actually what she's qualified to do, which is accounting. And, and even amongst well-meaning, and especially in actual fact amongst the well-meaning, the, those, the non-sectarian or the non-ethnic um thinking we have to be able to like move into a position of actually beyond tokenistic equality and that begins at the small levels that begins in university that begins in societal clubs that begins on on the football pitch and and it ends in all these places as well because if we're not practicing if we're sort of tokenistically handing out um positions of equality and diversity based on the fact that that's exoticizing people's experience in northern ireland 
it's actually may, pushing them further away from engaging in the in the the deep societal debates. So I just wanted to say that really. I can see uh, there's a few questions uh, are arriving in the the comment uh, box here. Uh, one of them is. Uh, from your experience, what is the one thing white people, those from the two tribes uh, in Northern Ireland, could do to get organized and build momentum to end racism? Um, I don't know if any, who, which of you wants it, maybe Anna, you are, are unmuted there. Do you have something to say? Um, yep. You can hear me? Yep. 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 Um, yeah, I think Sonny, um, I was very impressed by the um, uh, Black Lives Matter. When I see lots of white people standing side by side with the black neighbors or black friends or another black uh, protester uh, on the streets and in, in, yeah, in different places, I think that is the picture we want to see. That is how we can challenge white people in the wider society. It's not black people who brings racism. It is the attitude of white people, local people, against newcomers, against anybody who's different, and they see it as a threat. But if they see white neighbors and the white school friends, you know, standing beside a black person. I think that's a very positive image. I think the more we see that mixing of, of uh, people working together, playing together to see that it's not an issue, that, you know, it is just normal. Northern Ireland is now like part of the UK multi-ethnic society. Um, we need to see more of, let's say, like presenters on, on television, more politicians. And uh, actually, I thought it was very good in, in recent times with um, the COVID, um, you know, BBC and others brought in a lot of um, consultants to talk about their experiences or whatever, their specialty. So often they're Black people. I think that sort of image is so, so important that like, you know, Tuner was saying, uh, you know, that you're not just seen as a refugee. A black person is always, you know, looked at as a refugee coming to sponge the welfare state, but it is something like that. They're so powerful on television, a consultant talking about, you know, the, uh, about, about um, an illness that we are also scared about and yeah I think you know that's sort of normalizing it and looking at people as people as individuals rather than grouping them as all oh, these are Polish Chinese you seeing them as individuals making their their contributions I think that personalize humanize people rather than demonize them or putting them in the category 
Nisha, you wanted to come Yeah, yeah I, I, I totally agree with you, Anna. And uh, yes, Black Life Matters has brought a lot of, uh, has, has opened a lot of eyes and a lot of chapters. Uh, but this has been going on for so long and it had to, it had to break the silence somewhere. But I still feel, I still feel that integrated education, education is the key to everything. If you in educate your child from day one to say that you are going to be playing, you're playing with Chinese, Indian, African, Polish, Romanian, it doesn't really matter. Let's integrate them and let's bring them all together make and make them learn from each other I think that is the way forward and that's how it will it has to be in education and then in our home environment as well where the changes have to take place till we change those hearts and minds and the policies and the lot of the green and orange agendas, I don't think so. This Northern Ireland uh, way of living and Northern Ireland is going to be successful, no matter how many Black Lives Matters come, how many people of color will come and live in this, in this country. It is not going to change until we change our own perceptions and perceptions will only change if we educate, educate, educate. Leo, uh, I, when we were talking before, you you said you had been hoping to get to the, the Black Lives Matter. Of course, it was the COVID thing, so uh, you weren't able to go, but presumably you found it inspiring, that movement. Yeah, um, well, obviously, so, um, being back myself and experiencing it a lot, it was it was great to see, but um, I've, all my all my close friends, my best friends are all, all white, and I think, um, like, to answer that question, I think it's just, you know, I think it's, it's, the, it's the Bella, isn't it? I went to it in 2019. And the one thing you'll always find with with all my white friends is when you let them in, you let them experience your culture. My, my best friend, Paul, since like 11, bring him in, we bring him in. He he has to adjust to the way we, we live. So he has to come in, he has to greet mom and dad with hugs. He has to take his shoes off and trip stairs. He has to try and eat all our food. Every, every time they try and eat your food, it's always like, oh, this tastes amazing. Do you know what I mean? They have to, I think, I think just the biggest thing is just experiencing cultures. Mm. You know, I think you have to really promote, like uh, going to the, I went with all my friends, we went to the, uh, it's the Bella, it's, it's the Bella, isn't it? Mela, Mela, yeah. M, 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 yeah. Yeah, and all of them absolutely loved it. Try the foods, do the crafts, do everything. And I think it's just, Getting people out to those sort of events is all it needs. I think it's really all it needs to be done. Like, because no matter where you go to, once they experience something like that, you know, they it automatically triggers and opens things in their minds. You know, yeah. and I yeah. and that's from my experience. That's been the main thing that's really sort of like changed the way like my friends view mm -hmm. other people now as well. Yeah, Tunde, do you uh, agree with that, or have you seen that sort of? Um, interaction change people's minds. Yeah, I mean, I would I would agree very much with uh, what what Nisha said uh, in terms of uh, education, you know, integration uh, the children, and also I, you know I would if if it was possible for people like Nisha to be given more support to do more cultural things, you know, in all levels, I think that would go a long way also because 
you know, if you just one here, one there, you know, not everybody can be seen together at all times. So it needs to be quite a lot of it. The more we expose the Northern Irish uh, local people to different cultures, you know, and, and, and activities like Leo was saying, based on his own friend on that small level, you know, if you could multiply that, you know, in hundred folds, then of course it will, it will be a big, big issue. When you start having schools that are not integrated, one is Catholic, one is Protestant, then where do we fall in? You know, it's, it's going to be hard, you know, until those policies, like Nisha said also, are changed and we could look at something more inclusive for everybody, you know, it, it will still keep being this way, you know. So just, one thing I'll say, Maurice, is just yep. on, on that, it's also down to us as well. It's, it's down to me to bring my friend into my environment and to teach him uh, my customs. It's, you know, it's not it's not like a, a one-way thing. It's, it's two ways. You know, it's, it's, down, it's down to me to bring him in and it's up to him to ultimately accept and go along with it. You know, whenever we dance, he dances with us. You know, whenever he eats with us, you know, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a two-way thing. Um, so I think it's also down, even though there's a small minority of us here, it's down just to reach out and try and bring them in as well. That's, oh, am I muted? No, I'm not. <laughs> I thought I was muted. Um, that's, uh, that's another generous thought, I think. Yes, thank you again uh, for that. Um, I'm just going to, there's another question in here, uh, if I can just. Well, maybe just if I can add something. Yeah. Um, I think you know, Nisha's right, education's important, but education in schools is not enough. I think we have strong legislation now. So, mm -hmm. you know, we have race relation uh, order and, you know, government and, and we need to use more of that. Mm -hmm. And also another thing is uh, um, there needs to be more training in organizations and government departments about discrimination, mm -hmm. um, you know, so that people feel protected, feel that if they have a grievance that they can go and talk to the boss and there would be support for them. So there needs to be more support for ethnic minorities to come forward as well, if they feel being discriminated against. So we need mm -hmm. to look at policies, legislation mm -hmm. and all that to tackle racism in Northern Ireland, there is overt racism and that's violence and the police to need to do more as well. I mean, ethnic minority communities quite rightly feel that they don't have a lot of confidence in the police when they see uh, so little successful prosecution for racism or when they go and report incidents and, you know, they are not being followed up in a proper way or, or prop, uh, in time, then people then don't want to report again. So I think all those legal side, all those training would be very important as well to try to tackle racism. We're, we're certainly moving into uh, policy recommendations here. I think that's probably good <laughs> territory to try to move to for the last oh, 10 minutes or something, I suppose. Um, Ola, that's something you're, You've been, you've worked on. Do you want to give us some uh, idea? Well, my, uh, for, uh, not sure. Just I think my the, the 
and it sums up what everybody else said the uh, education would be a huge uh, and integrated edu education building in anti-racism and sort of the unconscious bias and diversity uh, awareness and cultural competence into into the curricula uh, and into uh, education and uh, altogether that that would be great my mind was completely blown when when it came to choosing schools for my my children and it turned out that five years earlier I would only have the you know maintained or controlled choice and so it was just quite lucky that uh, the, the that integrated education was so uh, so new uh, because it's uh, from from an outsider point of view it seems like a no-brainer like well how do you expect people to get on at the age of 20 uh, when they're being separated from the age of three uh, into two different mm -hmm. tribes and then you try to get them to come together at the age of tw 25 uh, and then if you throw a newcomer in, in between those two groups uh, how is it? How is it go, supposed to, to to work? All right. So, uh, so I, I think moving towards lobbying to uh, for for integrated uh, education and uh, and uh, both for teachers and and uh, for, for children that uh, that's uh, that would be a huge recommendation. And uh, obviously, implementing the racial equality strategy uh, has been at the at the heart of Stronger Together Network and bringing uh, the sector and uh, people uh, to together to, to push on that. We're halfway through the uh, racial equality strategy period of the, uh, 2015 to 2021, uh, and unfortunately not even an action plan has been formed as yet. Mm -hmm. So we've, we have the diversity uh, champions within the departments, uh, and that's great, that's a step forward. And then within the departments, there have been some training, but again, those, uh, you know, the, those poor uh, diversity champions, they are the, you know, any, anything ethnic or foreign <laughs> you know go to your diversity champion and that's that's not their role to be a scapegoat and i feel very often they they are uh, yeah. so because they're supposed to champion diversity and not just kind of deal with all the problems themselves uh, uh and the uh and now in the uh and the fallout from from brexit and the uh the protection of rights uh of everybody and protection of, of non-diminution of rights of uh, eu citizens and their families that is uh, that is a huge area of uh, legislation and policy that within stronger together network and in general we should be looking uh, looking at because suddenly with uh, with brexit and and with the end of the transition period, uh, obviously the UK government advertised it as everybody being treated equally and, and you know, all talent uh, attracted to, to the UK, but it really is that everybody who's not UK, British or Irish, is in fact a third country national. So there hasn't been a leveling up, there has been a leveling down uh, uh, and you know, making it more difficult for people to, uh, to, to have a standard living. And funnily enough, uh, Brexit and, and all uh, the EU settlement scheme and all, all that legislation that even created inequalities or reinforced inequalities be between people who are you know, British, British or British, Northern Irish, British or Irish, British. There, there are certain uh, little uh, caveats in the legislation that make it possible for ones to bring their family 
families from somewhere else and impossible for others. Uh, so uh, that's uh, that's something that is really uh, that that is a huge inequality. Uh, and then uh, anybody who's passionate about the Good Friday Agreement uh, would pick up on it quite easily. Uh, but uh, for, but uh, the immigration legislation is actually uh, not really obliged to follow equality. Uh, so that's that's another battle. Uh, so the, these are really the things that, uh, that that would come to mind in terms of uh, policy work. That's uh, fantastic. Um, there are a lot of complexities, of course, that uh, we'll have to work through. Again, just to remind people, there's going to be a, a follow-up podcast series. I can see a few more questions coming in here, but I think basically um, what we'll do is we'll save those and try to address them through the, the podcast series, if you don't mind, because I can see the clock is ticking. And I would be... Uh, Delighted if we could maybe go back around the group here while we've got you on screen, while we've got you captive, as it were, and uh, maybe just take one very quick. If if I were to, you know, make you prime minister or or you know, Taoiseach or <laughs> whatever, or first minister for that matter for the day, um, what what's the one recommendation you would want to see? Um, maybe avoiding the integrated education that you've talked about before and that sort of thing. Um, Tunde, what, what is your one recommendation, do you think? Well, um, I would suggest uh, because a lot of times you get people that write these policies to be uh, white, writing about racism, what they've not expressed before. I would say in that department that uh, they should get people from different cultures, you know, to actually work with people that write his policies so that they can get it right. Yeah. That's what I would recommend. Get uh, representatives of the community to go and sit exactly. down at a desk. Because yeah. I don't think I don't think that exists. I just think a couple of people somewhere writing policies and they don't know they don't know how I feel when someone discriminates about me because it's, it's not happened to them before. You know, you need to get the right people that's happened to contribute so that they can make meaningful representation in whatever their their policy. Mm -hmm. Drew, uh, I know, I'm going to keep this short now. So. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll be. I'll behave myself. And when you ask me if I'm being a prime minister, I'd fire Pretty Patel first. Oh, absolutely. You know, she, agree with you. And uh, you know, avoiding the personal and going into the political. The fact is, is that particularly imperiling refugees and asylum seekers is symptomatic of a wider issue of the pe that we have had and we have experienced not recently in the last de more than the last decade to newcomers and those coming into the country mm -hmm. the fact is is that you know that it's being made as bait for red tops to try and create this like division between people and that is a that isn't strength that this idea of const you know creating a constellation of identity around who the, who belongs here and who doesn't is a weakness of, of, a, of a democratic state, not a strength. What a democratic state, a truly democratic state, as, uh, as Tunde was saying about real meaningful presentation and presence throughout, the, throughout all aspects of institutions in a country means that we need to focus on associational relationships, which means that do we agree on commonalities together, not on culture, 
not on what is intrinsic to what we were born with, but what can we come together and actually develop ourselves? New technology, new art, new food, because Northern Irish food is not very good and we need more, more integration from wider communities to actually have something that is really uniquely ours based on coming together as, as individuals rather than intrinsic. And that's why a Bill of Rights is particularly important to try and shift um, the conversation in Northern, Northern Ireland beyond um, ethnic, you know, ethnic sort of understanding. And yeah, I just wanted to get, and I think that uh, the recent um, law by uh, Home Secretary is something that is deeply problematic and that we should all see ourselves like standing up against. Um, regardless of background. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Uh, Leo, do you have a, a vision of the future? Is there any limitations on what I can do? Can I, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think I'd probably go like along the Mellow route and have like something like that every, every couple of months. Right. Um, so I'd like, and just change, constantly change the, the theme, you know, you know, Indian, Chinese, Japanese, you know, African American, African, you know, create like just just constantly have have those sort of events for people to um, continually sort of mix and experience the different cultures, you know. And uh, I think that's that's probably something that I'd, that I'd sort of go on. I think very good, interesting, uh, interesting <laughs> choice. Ola, do you want to add anything to what you've said? Yes, well, uh, Drew kind of uh, stole the Bill of Rights from me, so the Bill of Rights <laughs> for Northern Ireland would be my first priority, but on a, a slightly different thing, uh, uh, a universal basic income would be also something that I think I would, uh, I would introduce if, uh, if, uh, if I could. Mm, interesting, interesting thought. Uh, Nisha, you've had uh, support from I, Leo there. I, but, I really but... love Leo. <laughs> <laughs> I think he is just so great. Um, bringing Mela in everyday's life. Oh, wow. It's going to be a hard challenge. Uh, and Anna will know all about that as well. Um, my first motto will be, and I really actually agree with Tunde as well, what he has said, and definitely agree with you, Drew, about um, Preeti Patel. And I love you, Ola, about Bills of Rights. Yes, definitely, definitely. Um, for me, it will be don't divide and rule. Let's rule together and yeah. make this place a very vibrant, exotic experience for everybody living here. And let's welcome our new communities with open arms. I was going to uh, turn to Anna Lowe for a, a you know, political soundbite to finish with, but I think we've probably just heard one. But Anna, you... Let's hear your one too. Yeah, well, changing attitudes takes a long time. Mm -hmm. And I think in order to change attitude, very often it's a use of the law and policies, public policies, to make people rethink and reflect and be fearful of breaking the law. So I think my, I think it, it, it's not wishful thinking for me to say one wish I have would be for government, not wish, one 
actual NAIC offer would be for government, all the government departments, including First and Deputy First Minister, to redouble their effort in implementing the racial equality strategy, mm-hmm. including, including strengthening all the laws of anti-racism. Um, that's hate crimes, all those other issues that we need to really redouble our effort to make this place a safer place for people and a more inclusive place for people in Northern Ireland of all different nationalities. That's fantastic. Um, I think we, uh, you're just squeaking under the line. We're just being beaten by the clock. So let me just take this opportunity one, to thank the organisers of this fantastic festival for putting this on, to thank uh, Queen's University and the team, especially uh, Lynn Gold, who's been behind the scenes helping us out here. And uh, thanks also to, well, to our panel, to Ola, to Leo, Drew, Tundi, Anna, Anisha. I'm sure everyone has had a fantastic, enlightening experience this evening. And thank you to everyone who came along and listened Uh, We'll try to get to your questions in the series. Follow us on at MME Council and we'll pass on some more information. So thank you for watching and good night. With thanks to Anna Lowe, Nisha Tandon, Mark Donoghue, Kaya Coma, Denise Wright, Drew McHale, Leo Brown, Tunde Addison, Ola Sobiarai and Liz Griffith. Follow us on social media at MME Council or visit our website mmeconsult.org and subscribe to MME Matters Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.